Hello, and thank you for listening to this life-changing message from River of Life. If you enjoy this message, we invite you to check out River of Life live this Sunday at 10.30 a.m. in Crawfordville. Visit riveroflifefl.com for service times and directions. That's riveroflifefl.com. Now, let's join special guest Derek Gray as he teaches from the Word of God. Sing this song, and we all joined in. And the words go like this What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And he birthed a sermon in me right there. And here we are today singing about the same thing. Washed in the blood, covered in the blood, made me clean in the blood. Now on that day as I sat right there and I sang this song, I happened to be aware that that morning there was somebody in church that didn't grow up in church. And I knew that. I happen to know this person. And, and as I was singing this song, I began to think about them. And, and I realized they, they probably didn't even know the song, may have never heard it, and I can pretty much guarantee you they had no idea what the words of that song meant. And so as I sat there and I, and I started, uh, I was singing, I, start, I started thinking about the perspective of that person. And I thought, I wonder, I wonder what they think when they hear these words. I mean, let's face it, it's 2018. We live in a modern society. We live in a society with, with GPS and satellites and iPhones and, and uh, MRIs and rockets and lasers and all this modern stuff. And here we are sitting in our seats on a Sunday morning singing about blood, about being washed in blood, about being covered in blood. Not only that, the blood of a man that died 2,000 years ago. What, what does someone think that comes out of this quote-unquote modern society and they hear those kind of words, what's, what's in their mind? What's, what's, their, what's their perspective on, on that? Do, how do, I mean, how do you think it sounds to them? You think it sounds weird? Maybe a little weird? Maybe a little archaic? Maybe even a little barbaric? You see, there are a lot of churches today asking this question. Couldn't we better reach a modern society if we just had a more modern message? Couldn't we better reach a more modern society? Couldn't we relate to them better if we had a more modern message? Now listen, a lot of churches today are, are trying to modernize. You know, they're trying to relate to this society. That's why you... You turn on the TV and you've seen preachers up here preaching in skinny jeans and a t-shirt, right? And let's just all pray right now that Pastor Henry never, <laughs> never does that. But, but whether you agree with that or don't agree with that, that stuff's all on the outside. But the fact is, some churches are actually considering, and there's a movement out there, to change the message to be more modern. Now, one of the guys at the forefront of this movement is a guy by the name of Brian McLaren. Now, if you've never heard of Brian McLaren, don't sweat it yet, missed anything, right? But he wrote a book several years ago called A New Kind of Christianity. A New Kind of Christianity. And in that book, he asked ten questions. And, uh, and I didn't read the book, but I read a, a long review of it. 
And in that book, he asked 10 questions that he said, if, if we would answer these questions honestly, it could transform Christianity. And the very top of that book, uh, the very first question in that book was this. What is the major storyline of the Bible? What is the major theme? If you read the Bible from cover to cover, from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, and you read it not as individual books, but just as one story, what would you say the central theme of the Bible is? What is, what is the main storyline of the Bible? Brian McLaren says that the, the main storyline of the Bible is God's love. That God loves us, that God is good and kind and gracious and merciful and that He loves us, and He wants us to love one another. He wants us to welcome one another. He wants us to care for one another, especially those that are less fortunate in our society. See, He thinks that it's all about God's love. Now, let me tell you, folks, before I go on, that's a good message. In fact, that's a great message, and the world will... Act, well, let me tell you, the world loves that message. Nobody has a problem with that message that God loves you, in fact, let me tell you, you can fill up churches with that message. But the question is, is that the central theme of the Bible? Is that the central storyline of the Bible? And I'm here to tell you this morning, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Listen, I want to tell you something. The Bible is an amazing book. I've studied it for a long time. It was written over roughly 2,000 years by over 40 different authors on three continents in three languages, and I'm convinced that if you open it and read it from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, it has one central theme, and that theme is redemption. Redemption. Now, I don't want to make any assumptions this morning because, like I said, that a few Sundays ago, I, I, there was somebody here that would have had no idea what that word means. We just, we just sang a song that called it Redemption's Hill. You might have saw that word up there, redemption's heal. What does that word mean? Well, you got to explain it because in our culture, we use it differently than the Bible. You see, in our culture, we say that somebody redeems themselves. Let's say at my house that I make some mistake and uh, I get in on the wrong side of Kathy, which is what I call it. And so I make a mistake one day, which I pretty much do on a, on a daily basis, and I get on her wrong side, well then maybe I do something really good, like maybe I empty the dishwasher, which would be an absolute rarity. But I, I, I empty the dishwasher, and then Kathy might say, well you've what? You redeemed yourself. That's how we use it, but that's not how the Bible uses it. You see, in the Bible, the word redeem has a very specific, very particular meaning. And the word redeem in the Bible, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, it always means this. It has to do with purchasing a slave and giving them their freedom. Redemption or redeem in the Bible has the idea of purchasing or buy back or ransom a slave out of slavery and then give them their freedom. You see, that's, by the way, guys, what the Bible is all about. The Old Testament is how he's going to do it. The New Testament is how he did it. Let me say that again. It's all about how God is going to do that. The Old Testament is how He's going to do it. The New Testament is about how He, how he did it. That theme is all throughout the Bible, that theme of redemption. You see, when you open the Bible, what you find is that mankind has rebelled against our Creator. Now, every single person that's born on this planet is born as an enemy of God. That's Romans 5.10. We are born as slaves to sin. That's Romans 6, 17. And we are born as children of Satan. That's John 8, 44. 
few weeks ago I was in town, I went by a church, and there was a sign out front of the church, and it, ba- it said something to this effect, you are all welcome here, for we are all children of God. Now folks, let me tell you, that may sound good, but that's not biblical. The Bible never, ever, ever calls all humanity children of God. You see, humanity, in a sense, has gone to the dark side. We are born into this world in the kingdom of darkness. We are born into this world as children of Satan. And if we're going to become children of God, we have to be bought back. We have to be purchased. We have to be ransomed out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. We have to be purchased, ransomed, bought back out of our slavery to sin and be set free to be slaves of righteousness. We have to be bought out of the the family of Satan and into the family of God. And the whole Bible is about God's plan to do that. It's called redemption. That's what the whole Bible is all about. Listen, God loves you. Yes, that is awesome and true. But that's not the central theme of the Bible. It's about redemption. Now, when you look at God's plan of redemption, of how he's going to do that, if you're going to buy a slave back, if you're going to purchase them or ransom them, you have to have some kind of currency to do that. And see, the Bible is extremely clear from Genesis to Revelation that the currency that God is going to use to do that is blood. It's blood. See, the word the Bible uses is atonement. The word atone means to cover. And see, God knows that if He's going to buy us back, if He's going to purchase us, if He's going to ransom us back into His kingdom, our sins, our rebellion, our disobedience has to be covered. It has to be atoned for. And God set up a plan very early on, as we'll see here in just a second, that our sins, the sins of human beings, must always be covered by blood. There is no other way. No plan B, no door, no door number two. It always has to be covered by blood. And not only that, it has to be covered by innocent blood. In fact, I'll show you here in just a second. The word atonement means basically the blood of an innocent must be shed to cover the sins of the guilty. The blood of an innocent must be shed to cover the sins of a guilty. Now, folks, that's a message people don't want to hear. Tell tell us more about God's love. Tell us more about that. We don't want to hear that that blood stuff. We don't want to hear about innocent uh, creatures dying to cover sins. That's so so yesterday. That's so old-fashioned. But you see, folks, that's what the Bible is all about. In fact, if you, if you start at the very beginning and go all the way through the end, you will see this. Now, what I'm going to do in the next few minutes, and I'm going to do this very quickly. I'm going to take you through the Bible. I'm going to take you from the Genesis to the, to the New Testament, and I'm going to show you how God's plan is put into action. Our story begins, of course, with Adam and Eve in the garden. And we all know their story. Adam and Eve, of course, are, are created. They're put in the garden, and, and uh, they've got all these trees to eat from, literally thousands, maybe millions. And God says, you can have all of that, just do not eat of that one tree. And we're typical human beings. they got to have the one thing you tell them they can't have. And so they eat of that tree. And the Bible says when they did that, their eyes were open, and they saw that they were naked. See, sin always creates guilt, and guilt always creates shame. And they looked at themselves and they were ashamed. And so they tried to cover their own shame. And the way they did that is they found some fig leaves and they sewed them together and they created coverings for themselves, trying to cover their own guilt, their own shame. Genesis 3.21, we see this statement. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. For Adam and Eve, the, wife, the, the Lord 
made for them garments of skins and clothed them. Now that's a, you look at that and you say, you first read it, you think, well, that's nice. You know, he, he wanted to make sure they weren't cold or whatever. But listen, there's way more there than that. Way more there than that. You see, that involves the very first death. See, at this point in time, there's never been a death on the planet. And God has to kill an innocent animal and take the skins off that animal to cover the shame of a guilty man and a guilty woman. You see, he's telling them right there, and it's a beautiful picture, by the way, with no words. He's telling Adam and Eve, you can't cover your own shame. You can't cover your own guilt. You can try everything, you know, you can do anything you want to do. You can do good works, and and you you can't cover your own guilt. It will always require the death of an innocent creature. Always, innocent blood will have to be shed to cover the sin of a guilty man or a guilty woman. As we move down through time, we come to Adam and Eve's two of their children, two boys by the name of Cain and Abel. And they grow up and Cain becomes a farmer and Abel becomes a shepherd. In Genesis 4, 3 through 5, it tells us this. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. I used to read that scripture, and you're probably like me. I used to read that scripture and say, that don't seem very fair. Any of y'all have ever felt that when you read that? That didn't seem real fair. Here's these two boys. One's a farmer, one's a shepherd, and they bring what they produce to God, and God accepts one and rejects the other. That, that seems kind of arbitrary, but I learned later that is a complete misreading of that Scripture. You see, them boys knew what they were supposed to do. They knew that God required a blood sacrifice. They knew that. And you may say, well, now, how, how do you know that? It doesn't say it. Well, we know because in the New Testament... In Hebrews 11.4, it says this, By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. And see, he didn't do it out of accident. He didn't do it just because he was a shepherd. He did it by faith. Uh, Romans, is it Romans 10.17? Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by what? Word of God. So you can't have faith without hearing the Word of God. You can't walk in faith without hearing the Word of God. Abel could not have sacrificed in faith unless God had told him what to do. See, them boys knew they were supposed to come and bring a blood sacrifice. So Abel did. He brought his, his blood sacrifice and God accepting. But Cain, man, that, that atonement stuff is so mom and dad. That's so mom and dad. I don't need that. All that blood, talk about blood and covering and shedding. So, I don't need all that. I'll just bring him what I've done. I'll just bring him what I've produced. I'll just bring him, I've lived a good life. I'm sincere. I've done the best I can. And after all, he loves me. I don't need all that atonement stuff. I don't need all that blood stuff. You see, the problem, guys, is not that Cain wasn't religious. The problem was that his worship was unacceptable. See, we're filling churches today with the message that God loves us. And we're not preaching the message that innocent blood must be uh, shed to atone for the sins of the guilty. And we're pushing that message aside. And we're bringing worship to God. And because our sins are not covered by the blood of Jesus, our worship is unacceptable. 
Abel was accepted because he did what God required, and Cain was rejected. As you move down through the, the Old Testament, Noah, when he leaves the boat with his family, sacrifices a blood sacrifice to God. That's Genesis 8.20. As you move on down, uh, uh, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, you see them all offering blood sacrifices to God. Of course, the Israelites eventually go into Egypt for 400 years and they're led out by Moses. We all know the story. And then, and finally, God institutes in law this idea of redemption and atonement. He does this in Leviticus 17.11. He says this in the law, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement. That word means covering. I've given you blood to make covering for your soul. For it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. There was even a, a day set aside in the law called the Day of Atonement. We know it as Yom Kippur. And on that day, the high priest would take three animals. He'd take a bull and he would take two goats. And the first thing he would do is he would sacrifice that bull. He would slit his throat and they would catch the blood in a pan. And then he would take that blood and he would go into the Holy of Holies and he would sprinkle that blood on the mercy seat for his own sin. Then he would go back outside. He would take one of those goats and he would cut his throat and he would catch that blood in the pan. And he would go back inside the Holy of Holies and he would sprinkle that blood on the mercy seat to cover for the sins of the people. And finally he'd go back out and there was one animal remaining and it was known as the scapegoat. And he would put his hands on the head of that goat and he would symbolically confess the sins of the people onto that goat. And it would be led out into the wilderness never to be seen again. And the sins of the people would be forgiven until they had to do it what? All over again, and all over again, and again, and again, and again, and again. But as you go through the Old Testament, you start to hear these little hints from the prophets that something better is coming. You, you, you hear these little prophecies and these hints that God, this is what God has set up now, but there's something better coming. There's a deliverer. There's a redeemer. There's a savior. Isaiah said this, Isaiah 53, 5 through 6. This is several hundred years before Jesus Christ is even born. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him, not the goat, not the goat anymore. The Lord has laid on him the sin of us all. See, I, I think men like Abel and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Noah were great, great men of God, but I don't think they had any clue that the God who demanded sacrifice would one day step on this earth and become the sacrifice. But you see, one day a man named Jesus of Nazareth walked down by the River Jordan and his cousin John looked at him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold the innocent that takes away the sin of the world. Later, John would say this, He is the propitiation, which means the payment for our sin. Hebrews, the author of Hebrews chapter 7, verses 27, talking about Jesus, said this, who does not need daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sin and then for the people, for this he did once for all when he offered up himself. 
You see, the animal sacrifices were always a sign or a symbol of something better that was to come. They were just, the Bible calls them a shadow, but when Jesus Christ came on the scene, He was the reality. There's an amazing thing, and I'll just tell you this on a side note. In 70 A.D., about 35 years or so after Jesus died, the Roman army came to Jerusalem and they laid siege on that, on that city. And they finally broke in and they burned it to the ground. They destroyed the altar where the sacrifices were made. They destroyed the Holy of Holies where the mercy seat and the blood was sprinkled. They destroyed all the records of the high priesthood. See, it was like God in His power, in His providence said, It's over. That's it. It's done. All that was just a sign. All that was just a symbol. But the reality of my son is here. He is the final sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice. You don't need that anymore. And by the way, from this day to that, the Jewish religion has completely changed. They cannot sacrifice anymore. They can't do it anymore. So they talk about things like doing good works and stuff like that because the temple's gone. The system is gone. God took care of that when he destroyed Jerusalem in 70 A.D. Listen, God loves you. That's true. God is good and kind and gracious and merciful. All those things are true. But I'm here to tell you this morning that God's plan of redemption has not changed. It has not changed. If you're going to come to God, if you're going to bring your worship to God, you come the way that He ordained you would come. He hasn't changed anything. If your sins are going to be covered, they're not going to be covered by good works. They're not going to be covered because you're sincere. They're not even going to be covered because He loves you, in which He does. They are going to be covered by the death of an innocent. They are going to be covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. You see, when Jesus died on the cross, He was that final blood sacrifice. His, his blood is... He, can you imagine how awesome He must be that His blood can cover the sins of everybody that's ever lived forever? That's how powerful it is. That's how perfect it is. That's how final it is. 1 Peter 1, 18-19 says this, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things. You, what's the word redeemed? You were not bought back. You were not purchased. You were not ransomed with corruptible things like money, like silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. You see, you and I, if you're a sinner here today, and by the way, we all are. We all are. are you, if you got guilt here today, we all do. Are you ashamed? We all do. But you see, we can't go to a temple and sacrifice animals anymore. That's all done away with. What we do today is we put our faith in that last sacrifice. We put our faith in that final sacrifice. We appropriate that and says, Jesus, I believe you did that for me. I trust that you did that for me. That's how we come to God today. Listen, in the end, everybody has this choice. One of two things. It's, the Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. Every one of us have two things ahead of us. You will either stand before God covered in the fig leaves of your own works, or you'll stand before God covered by the atoning blood of the precious Son of God, Jesus Christ Himself. There is no plan C. There's no door number three. 
Those are every single one of us have those two choices. As I sat over there that Sunday morning and I sang that song and I thought about that person and I thought, do they understand this message? And I, and I began to think, should we change the message? And I immediately realized, no, guys, this is what Christianity is all about. You see, this is what sets Christianity apart from every false religion. See, false religion is always like Cain. False religion comes to God and says, man, that atonement, blood stuff, that's so, man, that's so archaic. That's so barbaric. That's so mom and dad. That's so yesterday. Let's just bring God what we produce. Let's just bring Him our good works. Let's just, after all, we're sincere. After all, he, he loves us. I'm sure He'll let us off the hook. We don't need all that. We don't need all that stuff. Let's just bring Him what we can bring Him, and He'll accept it. But see, Christianity stands alone above them all and says you can bring nothing but the blood. Nothing but the blood. Nothing but the blood. That song was written in 1876 by a man by the name of Robert Lowry. And I, I was just curious about who wrote Nothing But the Blood and when it was written, so I went out to the Internet and I just Googled it. And, I, and it had a list of all his songs there. And there was some, I, I mean, he'd written tons of them. I had no idea, and some I recognized it, but most I didn't. And I read a, a comment on one of the, the web pages that said he had a particular song that was his favorite. It was called Weeping Will Not Save Me. I, I never heard of it. And so I went and read the words. I want to read them to you this morning. It says, Weeping will not save me, though my face were bathed in tears. That could not allay my fears, nor wash away the sins of years. Working will never save me. The purest deeds that I can do, holiest thoughts and feelings too, can never form my soul anew. Only faith in Christ will save me, so let me trust thy precious Son. Trust the work that he has done. To his arms, Lord, help me run. Never heard that. That's a pretty good song. Listen, Christ has done it all. He's paid it all. He's sacrificed it all. There is no doubt that we live in challenging times. We might have, at one time, when the Puritans came over in the 1600s, it was their every intent to establish a Christian society in America. And they, it might have been that at one time, but listen, I don't know anybody that could say anymore that we live in a Christian society. Yet the fact is, our calling doesn't change. We are ambassadors for Christ. We are to call our neighbors and our friends and our families and our co-workers and our classmates to be reconciled to God. That is our that's our message. Now the question is, what's the best way to do that? What's the best way to do that? See, I, I, the, the church is, 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 is trying to come up with all these things to change. Let's experiment. Let's try this. Let's try that. I read one quote by a church leader. I'll read it to you. It's critical the church keep trying new things and keep experimenting. Too many church leaders are perfectly equipped to reach a world that no longer exists. Now listen... I'm not some stuck-in-the-mud fuddy-duddy that's all about doing it the way we always did. Listen, we don't have hymns this morning because we got technology. That's awesome. That's great. I, I'm all for that. I, I'm, you know, I, I'm all for trying things new and doing new things. I have no, I have no problem with that. And if, and if Bill Jenkins wants to get up here and preach in skinny jeans, God bless him, man. I, I got no problem with that. That's all, that's all 
you know, that's all outside stuff. But let me tell you, folks, what cannot change is the message. The message can never change. The message of redemption that Jesus Christ has shed His blood, the blood of an innocent, to cover the sin of our guilt and shame. That message cannot change because that's Christianity. Without that, you're just a false religion. You're just bringing works. You're just bringing what you can bring. You're like everybody else. See, that's what is different. See, the message may be old, or the story may be old, but the message is timeless. Keith Collins mentioned this in one of his sermons, and it really struck home with me. He mentioned about Timothy, if y'all were here last week. And, he, and Timothy was a young pastor. He was living in Ephesus, and he had him a little small church, and that city is covered up with idolatry. The temple to Diana, and, and there were several temples there. I mean, it was, the city was a mess. And here's Timothy, this young guy, and I'm sure he's thinking, man, how can I reach these people? How, how do I reach this, this worldly society, this, uh, uh, this society full of idolatry? And Paul writes him a letter. And in 1 Timothy 1.15, Paul says this. He says, Timothy, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the chief. Folks, that's the gospel. Now, I'm going to say something right now. And I want you to, I'm going to say it very carefully, but I want you to listen to me, and please don't take it wrong. Listen, it is true that God loves you, but that's not the gospel. It is true that God, Jesus, can be your friend, that Jesus can be your counselor, that Jesus can be your, your healer, that Jesus can be your provider. Those are all true, but that's not the gospel. The gospel is that Jesus Christ came to this earth to save sinners. The gospel is that he came to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, before you need a counselor, before you need a healer and a provider, you and I and every other human being all need the same thing. We need him to be a savior. That's the gospel. It turns out that thing they used to write on barns and the side of buildings and signs is still true. Jesus saves. That's what he came for. The old message is, is still the message. 2 Corinthians 5.21, He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for me. He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for me. When He hung on that cross, He bore my sin. He bore the punishment for my sin that I might be the righteousness of God in Him. Listen, that's why we sing here in 2018, we still sing about the blood. And that's why here in this modern society of GPS and satellites and MRIs and iPhones, we still sing about the blood. And we sing it with our hands lifted and we sing it with tears in our eyes. Because without that, we are lost. Completely lost. I heard an old, old story. How a Savior came from glory. And how He gave His life on Calvary to save a wretch like me. I heard about His groaning, His precious blood's atoning. And I repented of my sin, and I won the victory. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. Why? Because He sought me, and He bought me with His redeeming blood. Listen, that's an old, old story. But its message is timeless. 
That's an old, old story, and you may call me old-fashioned, but I don't think we need a new one. Now listen, as I sat over there a few weeks ago, and I knew there was somebody that had never heard something like this, and that this sermon was birthed, is that sometimes, and Pastor Henry and I were just saying, sometimes you just have to stop. And, and just don't take things for granted. You may be here today and maybe you've never understood why do they make such a big deal about the blood? The reason we make a big deal is because God makes a big deal of it. It's all about the blood. Redemption, atonement. Without, that's how we approach a holy God is covered by the blood of His Son. Without it, we can't get near Him. And if you're here today and you struggle with guilt, and you struggle with shame, and you struggle with sin, and maybe you've never understood, how do, I, how do I make all this right? Folks, you can't make it right. There's only one way to make it right. Nothing but the blood. Nothing but the blood. You may be here today, and maybe you're, you've been redeemed. Maybe you've been saved, but somewhere along the line, you just lost your way. You just lost your way and you, you started trying to live up to all this stuff and be something that, that you own your own. And maybe this just calls you back to say, remember, remember nothing but the blood. Or maybe you're here today and you, you are redeemed and you're saved and you've been bought by the blood. I would remind you, Christians, the message doesn't change. Listen, tell them God loves them. That's awesome. But when you get a chance... Don't, don't forget, they're a sinner. Listen, that guy made that statement a while ago. He says, the church is equipped to meet, meet a world or to, to, to reach a world that doesn't exist. I don't believe that anymore. I don't believe that. Listen, if I've learned anything, we've been going through the book of Genesis, and if I've learned anything, it's this. Listen, the outside changes. Technology changes. Our, the way we dress changes. But let me tell you, on the inside, we are just like Adam and Eve and Cain, and Abel, and every other human being that's ever lived, we are a guilty sinner that needs our sin to be covered. The inside doesn't change. All the outside can change. But the world today is the same as it was back in Abraham's day. It's the same as it was in Jesus' day. It's full of sinners who need Jesus. And that's the message that we cannot change. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we love you. We thank you so much for sending your precious Son, Jesus. And Father, without Him, without Him, oh, how lost we would be. And God, help us somehow this day. If there's anybody here that doesn't know this, that doesn't understand this, then I pray that some way, in these pitiful words that I've used, that they'll see today clearly for the first time what it means when we talk and sing about that precious, precious blood. Father, I give you praise. I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Brother Derek. I couldn't help but think as he was delivering that message. Thank you again for listening to this life-changing message from River of Life. If this message has touched you today, or you need someone to pray with you, then please let us know. You can call us at 850-926-1200 or send an email to info at riveroflifefl.com. We also encourage you to visit River of Life this Sunday at 1030 a.m. in Crawfordville. For more information, visit us at riveroflifefl.com.